Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 37. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Monday, Steelers Nation, as the Pittsburgh Steelers coming off their Week 6 bye. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the time off. I know in some sense the Steelers didn't have the greatest bye week because of what happened in the AFC North around them. Every other team going 3-0 this weekend, but overall... Nice to just kind of have a bit of calm after a pretty turbulent and crazy first five weeks of the season. Dave, how you doing? Hopefully you had a good weekend as well. Yeah, I got to watch a lot of football uh, over the weekend and uh, unfortunately missed the uh, the comeback <laughs> by uh, the Stanford versus Colorado. I said, oh, that game sewed up. <laughs> and uh uh, but yeah, I got to watch a lot of college football and obviously a lot of, uh, uh, NFL football all day on, uh, on, on, on Sunday there. Looking forward to watching that Monday night game, uh, tonight between, uh, who the, uh, the Cowboys and the Chargers there. But yeah, I mean, uh, you, you get a bye week and if, if there's a way for a bye week to go bad for a team, <laughs> it, 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 it certainly did so for the Steelers with, uh, uh, the other three teams in the, uh, AFC North all winning. Uh, probably a lot of people thought, you know, yeah, the Ravens were probably going to beat the, uh, uh, beat the Titans there and, you know, probably 50 50 on what would happen with, uh, the, uh, the Bengals and the Seahawks. But uh, probably not too many people had the <laughs> Cleveland Browns uh, with with PJ Walker at quarterback upsetting the uh, uh, the San Francisco 49ers. But uh, that's why they play the game. That's why I, I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as a trap game uh, when it comes to the NFL. Obviously, a couple of injuries in that game uh, for the 49ers, specifically on the offensive side of the ball, certainly didn't help them. Uh, and look, that. You know, say what you will about the Browns, man. They that defense is humming uh, right along uh, for, for for sure. So uh, that you know, that's going to be something that the, for at least for the Browns to hang their hat on. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, continuing on through the rest of the season here is that Jim Swartz has got that defense humming. He has. It's been a dramatic turnaround, and the way that pass rush works and the chaos they create is is huge and pivotal, obviously, in that win over the 49ers. Um, yeah, this was a crazy week number six. You got the Jets beating the Eagles. You had the Giants taking the Bills to the wire. Bills coming out on top on the literal last play of the game. The Browns upsetting the 49ers. Let, let's start with the AFC North, and I was out of town this weekend, so I I, I watched less football than I'm sure you did, but your thoughts on what are your thoughts on the Browns? I think they're a hard team to figure out. Obviously so much dependent on Deshaun Watson and don't know his status going forward with that rotator cup bruise or whatever the exact nature of the injury is. Obviously, as you said, their defense is phenomenal, but I mean, are they a, a true competitor in the North long-term this season? It feels like they're going to have to win some games a lot like the Steelers. Uh, might might have to, you know, ha- have to have some big plays on defense. Uh, look, it'll be interesting. You know, they look they like they lost a big piece in Nick Chubb, right? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, also lost a uh, 
uh, starting tackle earlier in the year. From, from what little I've seen of them, obviously since they lost their their right tackle, uh, it looked like Daywan Jones is, is 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 playing okay over there. But uh, they just don't seem to be as explosive. And I don't think Deshaun Watson obviously has played up to uh, expectations so far. They they did make some some key plays and some timely moments yesterday, and also uh, seemed to get a little bit of help from the refs uh, uh, in, in that game against the 49ers as well. So, uh, is it sustainable with them? I mean, that defense is good. I mean, if they can force, you know, takeaways at, at, at key points and, and keep the score down, it almost feels like they're another version, like I said, uh, of the Steelers. And it'll be interesting to see when and if Deshaun Watson comes back from, uh, what is it, shoulder, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. injury with him, uh, how he plays, and if they're able to get that running game more on track uh, uh, moving forward here. But, uh it, it it does feel like it's still, you know, and I know the Bengals haven't lived up to expectations quite yet on the offensive side of football, but it feels like, it still feels like the Ravens and the Bengals are in pretty good situations overall, whereas the Steelers and, 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 and the Browns seem more reliant on the defensive side of football. Yeah, they're teams that are finding a way to win, finding a way to work. But you question, is this a long-term play? Is this sustainable or will there be a collapse? I think Baltimore is still the favorite in the AFC North, even knowing that Pittsburgh you know, is 1-0 against them on the season. I just think the strength of the quarterback play, they're just a better roster overall. It really just comes down to health. You know, They're always dealing with injuries. They were early in the season. They're getting healthier now. And of course, can Lamar Jackson stay healthy down the stretch, getting hurt each of the last two years, and that that's tanked their season. So I still consider the Ravens the front runners, but I, I do think the North is still, you know, pretty wide open. Look, they're uh, you know the Steelers are two and zero in the division, right? So you 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 get two more wins in there combined with, you know, we talked the other day with uh, you know can can this team in their final twelve games at least go six and. Uh, six. I mean, it feels like they should be able to. Sure. And if they go just two and two in the North, they end four and two. And if they can do both of those things, you got to at least be in, in the mix when come week 18, you would have to think. It would feel like that you'd be, you know, you could need a win and maybe be doing some scoreboard watching at that point there. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the plus thing with the Steelers right now is a, you know, you're coming off of a bye week. Uh, second, you know, you you it, it seems like you're going to get Deontay back and hopefully maybe even Pat Firemuth, and we'll see about James Daniels. So you could be getting healthy. And then also, once again, you know, you look at this, uh, this, this section of games that's coming up for them. Uh, the next five specifically, I think that we pointed out before uh, you get to you get to Thanksgiving there. I mean. The, I'll tell you this, though, the Rams, and this is kind of part of what we'll obviously get deeper into the Rams as the week goes on here. <laughs> they seem to come alive in the second half in, in in that game against the Arizona Cardinals on on Sunday there. Now, it was the Arizona Cardinals, but, I mean, on so, on both sides of the football, they seem to click you know, a little bit better. So, you know, I, I obviously don't think this is a gimme game. Uh, for the Steelers, and we have some historical <laughs> stuff uh, to talk about that as well, too. But I mean, I, I are the Jackson? Who are the Jacksonville Jaguars right now? Uh, the Tennessee Titans look like they 
are just kind of fumbling, you know, bumbling their way through through their their first uh, uh, five games of the season. The How Green- is Tannehill, by the way? Do we have an update on his situation? All I, all I know is he looked like he was in a lot of pain yesterday when he finally left that ball game, and I think he was on crutches after the game, and I think mm. they're concerned about an ankle injury there, and uh, it, it seems almost definite that he's going to miss some time coming up here. Can he get healthy enough to come back and play against the Steelers in week nine? I think that's the that's the biggest question at this point. And man, Malik Willis taking a lot of he he had what five five pass attempts in that game, and then the other other five three times he was sacked or something crazy like that you know his his pocket awareness uh certainly isn't there he tries to hold on to the football so uh you know you have to wonder if they if they get into that next spot here if if will levis will come into play uh with him and then sure. one, you know once again uh game number four of the steeders of these next five is against the packers and who the heck are they at this point uh, uh, of the season, then uh, then you get into that November nineteenth game, which will, you know, uh, uh, your next two. Obviously, after that, we're only hitting the next five. But the Browns and Bengals come up uh, at at the end of that run. Yeah, I mean, this thing's going to get really interesting for the Steelers. But since you mentioned it, let let's lean into the Ram situation right now with the win over the Cardinals. Um, and you know, Cooper Cup was doing Cooper Cup type things, and you know, Josh Dobbs, the Cardinals offense, really limited overall. Again, you probably saw more of the game than I did, but your thoughts on, you know, early thoughts on this Rams team and then talk about what you wrote about this morning for Steelers Depot, the history of Pittsburgh playing Los Angeles Rams based teams. Well, I tell you this, they seem to get the run game on track in the second half of that uh, uh, game against the uh, Cardinals there. Uh, I'll tell you something else that, that stuck out. Kevin Dotson's not playing too bad for them mm-hmm. uh, at, at, at right guard. Uh, over there, he seems a lot more comfortable uh, in that offense. And Cooper Cup, uh, you know, obviously they didn't have him uh, uh, early in the season. Getting him back, he he looks out. And and even in the second half of that game, I think they had said in the first half he had some sort of ankle ding or whatnot. You really couldn't tell in 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 the second half of that game. And uh, uh, Puka, they 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 have over there. He's he's playing well. Uh, Obviously, quarterback, you know, Stafford seems to be playing okay over there. Uh, they, once again, they they look like a totally different team in the second half of that game. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It was, it was the uh, the Cardinals. But, you know, then you look on the defensive side of the football and Aaron Donald can wreck your day in a heartbeat. He was doing some things in that in that game. They looked like they were able to get after the passer. Akella Witherspoon, obviously a former Steelers, you know, seemingly playing uh, pretty well. I haven't gone deep into, obviously, the tape. Uh, the all 22 on that. I will, we'll start doing that tonight and all, but uh, this, this is not going to be a gimme game uh, mm-hmm. when it, when it comes to the Rams. And I think most notably for the fact that they, they, they seem to, to be able to get their, their run game on track. And the Steelers have obviously had some, some problems on, on the defensive side of football starting or, or of stopping uh, the run early on. So I think that will once again be the priority here and something Mike Tomlin has talked about, you know, you got to stop the run, got to keep them in uh, behind the chains. And, 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 and that will be a test I think early on in this game. And as far as historically goes, 
yeah, it's history, but it's the kind of things that you look at on bye weeks uh, ahead of West Coast trips. And, you know, I think overall the Steelers are, are and I think Josh Carney wrote about this uh, last week, coming off the bye, the Steelers are strong uh, overall. But uh, I think when you look at specifically at the Rams and you, and you look at, 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 at the Steelers in, you know, Pacific uh, uh, time zone and uh, on the road there, uh, and something that I drilled down, you know, the last time that the Steelers actually played the Rams, uh, as the Los Angeles Rams was in 1993. Now I was, mm. uh, seven years out of high school at, uh, <laughs> at, at the time. I don't want you to think, were you born yet? I was a couple months old, May of okay. 93 was uh, when I came into the world. So. Don't don't remember that game, believe it or not. Not yeah. not my memory. Uh, there. Jerome Bettis' uh rookie season uh that year and uh the Steelers got shut out uh against the Rams in that game. Jerome Bettis scored his uh first NFL touchdown uh in that game. And uh how I came across all this to even write about it in the first place is the old I think uh, ESPN you know, vignette, if you will, uh, recap of that game uh, overall. And the last graphic they show on that thing, I think, shows that the Steelers were, I think they showed, a. Uh, oh, where is it here? I, I had it up uh, this morning here. Uh, oh, oh, I wish I could find it. I think they had oh, 11 and 1 or something like that uh, for the Steelers against the Rams in in uh, in Los Angeles. That graphic was actually wrong. Mm. And uh, that's what kind of tipped me off 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 to it first and foremost. I thought no, they I thought the Rams were were in Cleveland uh, uh, going way back like that. I'm still trying to find find this thing here. Uh I got, I got it. It says uh, the Steelers are. Uh, this is at the end of NFL primetime uh, from 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 this game. Twenty-seven nothing loss uh, to the Rams. Uh, the graphic says the Steelers are 0 11 and one versus the Rams in LA. Well, I guess I didn't have Pro Football Reference. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> or oh, 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 Stathead uh, back then, because uh, two of those games. Obviously, the first two in that uh, uh, were were the Rams uh, in 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 Cleveland there. So uh, technically, the Steelers at, at the end of that last game in 1993 were 0 and 9 uh, at, at that point versus the uh, the Rams in LA. So uh, the Steelers have never won against the Rams as the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, out west, obviously, you know they have beaten them, obviously, sure. and beat them in the Super Bowl uh, many moons ago, and all like that. So uh, there's a trend uh, for you, and and to make matters worse, I think uh, only twice in those previous uh, eight games from last time being shut out there, uh, only twice did they score more than 14 points. Now, obviously, you know the history is history, and all like trends are trends, and all like that. But I found that quite fascinating, especially the the the, the Jerome Bettis uh, aspect of it, and that being his rookie season uh, 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 with the Rams in 1993. But uh, not a great trend. That the Steelers obviously are 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 looking to break when they go out there on Sunday against the Rams at SoFi Stadium. Yeah, Dave, and obviously while 
trends are just trends. And as you said, they don't they're not going to impact what happens today. Pittsburgh has kind of been riding the trends this year in some good and bad ways. You talk about all the trends you look towards for why you thought they would beat the Browns, which all ultimately held true. And when they, you know, beat the Ravens coming off the the 20 point losses that you've talked about, which also applied to the Browns game. So we'll see if those trends continue um, overall. I, I, I think to the present day Rams, you can for your, your team fungible, take the victory lap on Kyron Williams. I mean, what fifth round pick in 2022 and it's become their top back. Yeah, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. It's a Monday. We got time to kill. Coming out on a Monday uh, here. Hey, here's the other trend for you. The Steelers are an impressive 12 and four following the bye under Mike Tomlin. Uh, and they look to obviously make that uh, 13 and four uh, in, 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 in week seven against the Rams. So, you know, overall, Mike Tomlin's done a great job uh, with this team. Uh, coming out of out of bye weeks overall there. So you got kind of two trends uh, working against each other mm-hmm. here uh, overall. Yeah, look, I mean, I think Williams, once again, they 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 look to get that uh, Suzanne Summers passed away. Did you see that? I did last night. Yeah, I think 76, yeah. they said. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, that was before your time. Three's Company and uh, all, all like that. You know, Jack, R- or, uh, Jack Ritter, uh, John, uh, John Ritter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, passed away several years ago. He was obviously on that show, and now uh, Suzanne Summers has passed away. That was a popular sitcom back there in, uh, the, the, I guess, what, the late 70s there. That's sad. Uh, moving forward here, uh, uh, Williams looked uh, good in that running game, and as, as you mentioned, uh, you know, later round guy there, and and once again, I think uh, Kevin Dotson is uh, someone, had, uh, and I hadn't seen this, someone said he's one of the higher higher rated guards on pff right now did you see that i know he was after his first start or two there was a sample size issue i don't know where he is coming out of this game but we can we can look it up today i'm i'm betting he's probably ranked relatively high uh let's see here i'm looking third best guard in the nfl does that look right to you dave i'm just kind of taking things at I'm a looking glance at here. overall blocking grades let's see if uh offense overall i've yeah, got I'm him looking as- offense. I've got him uh, uh, of of let's see of the guys that have more than you know just a handful of snaps. Yeah, they, they have him as the th- if you eliminate guys like Jenkins and Allegretti who've only played thirty seven and ten snaps respectively. If you remove you know the noise out of there and the minimum snap requirement, that would put Kevin Dotson. I and I don't think they have their grades from this week up yet so that would have made him as the third best guard uh or graded guard in the nfl going into this week yeah i mean do they not have they might have today's updated i don't know how quickly they turn that around let's try to see here really quickly if uh that includes the cardinals game no i think you're right i'm not not seeing the cardinals game included so we'll see where it sits post cardinals game but it sounded like you know he's and and you talked about it, and and is again I think a variety of things about why Dotson didn't work in Pittsburgh. One of them, to maybe some extent, was him going back to right guard. I know you mentioned that. I, I was generally not as big a, a, on the idea of that's why he was struggling. Um, but there may be something to be said for that. I I just think predominantly the the scheme in particular that Pat Meyer demands from its offensive lineman didn't really fit Dotson, and so that was one of his larger issues. And I just don't know if there was ever maybe a really super strong relationship there where it just kind of felt like it was always some sort of source of frustration or something going on with Dotson 
and it just never really clicked as it should in Pittsburgh. Could they have had him thinking way too much? And then once again, you go back to to uh, his college career where he played only he played uh, specifically on the right side. And although he did when he first cut his teeth with the Steelers, I think it was uh, uh, on on the right side there. You know, but you went on to play most of the snaps. I think at left guard there is this just. When they got him in over it uh, in, in in L.A. and moved him back to the right side, you know, probably kept his plate a little limited. And I, I just wonder if the if the Steelers and Pat Myers system just had him thinking way too much, and obviously also not being as comfortable. It, it never felt like he got really really comfortable over there no. at, at left guard, right? I, I just didn't look comfortable in general, you know, right or left side. I mean, I just don't think it ever felt like he was a great scheme fit. I think my system is looking, you know, for those guys to be really aggressive again, especially in their past sets. And I think Dotson as a bigger guy that was stronger, that can kind of more anchor than, than go forward and, and, and attack. I don't think that was great for him. Then you have the penalties and I just thought mental errors and mistakes and his game just seemed a talent. I mean, I said when they dealt him talented guy, he may do well with the Rams. It just was not going to work well or as good as it needed to be in Pittsburgh. So I'm not necessarily shocked by his, you know, early strong play with the Rams. I just feel like Pittsburgh was not the place for him to succeed. You know, he, he feels like a guy that you'd line up at his original space and just go block the guy across. From. Yeah, exactly. Cause he's a <laughs> mauler run blocker. He's right. big, he's strong. He's not a bad athlete. I mean, there were the, the, the physical raw tools are all there for Kevin Dotts and always have been. So kudos to him and kudos to the Rams for, doing whatever they're doing to maximize that. Right. I mean, look, he had a nice turnout on one of those late runs by or turn in uh, on, on, on one of those late runs. So uh, I think he gets the general, you know, obviously run game blocking philosophies on, 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 on zone and, you know, gap and, and, and all like that. Uh, I, you just have to wonder at this point if he was a, you know, uh, a fish out of the water at left guard and B, you know, just so many tech, tech, technical things that maybe Pat Meyer maybe tries to focus on that. It, it had him thinking and not playing and, and, you know, all those things combined. And obviously too, when you get down and, you know, you obviously had the fan base and, you know, people analyzing you and it's not like they're not analyzing everything in LA, but, uh, uh, just kind of being hyper focused, and then you know he kind of knew the the writing was on the wall this past off season with the moves that they made with say Amalo and and Herbig, and if that got him down, I bet he was ready for that fresh start. Yeah, and he knew it was coming. We all knew he was not going to be a Steeler this year, and he admitted it as much. And and maybe there's a benefit to playing with a good right tackle and Rob Havenstein, and they've talked up their center Brian Allen as a you know solid, super smart center. So. You know, having some pieces and being in a better offense overall, that that and, and, a, and a veteran quarterback like Stafford, that, that does not hurt either. Right, absolutely. So good, good on him, man. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, Dave, where to right now? You did uh, with the bye week a Steelers salary cap update. Been a little bit since our last check in on the salary cap situation. So run us through the highlights, the changes, the things that people need to know about Pittsburgh's uh, cap situation. Yeah, once again, this is way too early, but it's the things that pe- certain people like. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this uh, uh, for, for this section of the podcast, but it is a bye week. And we are kind of 
you know, limited on things to talk uh, talk about here. But uh, first and foremost, I think it's important to, to, to point out that the early projections for the NFL-wide salary cap number are $256 million. Now, is that the number? Absolutely not. We won't learn what that number is until a handful of weeks, probably before the start of the uh, 2024 league year in March. But, you know, these projections end up being uh, pretty damn close overall. So $256 million is the early uh, projected number. Uh, my projection as far as what the Steelers will carry over in uh, unused salary cap space from 2023 uh, is, is right around $3 million. Will it be exactly $3 million? No. Uh, will it be a little low? Will it be a little bit high? It should be in the ballpark uh, when it comes to that. Uh, the Steelers, I think, currently now have 40 uh, players under contract for 2024, uh, that will obviously shuffle one way or another by a couple of players by the time we get to the offseason there. Uh, And within that, the the best way that I have learned to kind of do a mock, if you will, what this team will look like once their initial rule of 51, once you build out their roster uh, to to 51, because obviously the league works uh, off of the rule of 51 uh, once you get to the start of the new league year in March, is to put in as placeholders players with second-year players. And what that helps, helps you do is uh, offset Help helps you absorb however many kind of reserve future players uh, that that you'll be adding to the roster, along with your draft class and whatever kind of bonuses uh, are in that. So the once again, the best way I've, I I have found to build out to kind of mock this thing is to take essentially this team has forty players on uh, under contract and then add in eleven players with uh, second year. Uh, base salaries, and that kind of provides enough buffer that I feel mm-hmm. gets get you uh, in the ballpark there. Now, currently, this team has a little over $300,000 in dead money already on the books for uh, 2024. You put all that together, and then you add in the mandated uh, workout bonus charge placeholder amount, which next year is a little bit over uh, $900,000 there. You you put all that together, and if you want kind of uh, uh, an honest mock look ahead, projected uh, at where this team might sit once they build out their rule of 51 initially, would put them roughly $1.4 million over a $256 million uh, cap number. Now, before everybody freaks out about <laughs> that, uh, and then look, you know, I, you know how I build these things out. I try to project you know, your future salary cap expenses moving on into the rest of the season, like adding a 52nd and 53rd player, uh, accommodating for a full practice squad, uh, putting $2 million uh, uh, going towards uh, replacements because of maybe injured reserve players and then lowering this year, the Steelers went into this year with, what do we say about $6.3 million in available 
you know, slush fund, you know, we need this much amount available uh, to start the season within in salary cap space. I bumped that up to uh, last year. I worked off of a number of nine million as a as a placeholder number there. Uh, they actually went into the season with around six point three million this year. So I'm going to bump that up to. Uh, or lower it from nine to seven million uh, this year. You you factor in all those way late in the season projected future salary caps uh, uh, charges. You could realistically look at this team and say, well, there's 16 million over for 2024. And once again, I caution before everybody freaks out about that. I think you have to look at there are several elephants in the room that will need to be addressed. And several of those elephants have March roster bonuses Mm. due. Um, You look at guys like uh, Larry Ogunjobi, Chiquamo Corfor, Mason Cole, Patrick Peterson, all four of those players have March roster bonuses uh, due, terminating the contracts of all four before paying the uh, respective Mar- uh, March roster bonuses would clear a whopping uh, $26.56 million in salary cap space uh, there prior to roster displacement of your top 51 there. so And that number could be as high as $30.1 million if you deem that you terminated the contract of Larry Ogunjobi and put a June uh, 1st designation uh, on him. So it's certainly pliable. Now, well, now look, is it going to be all four of those guys terminated? It's hard to answer that question as we sit here at, at the bye week, but some of those four aren't going to, I'll, I'll tell you this, some of those four aren't going to be there. And, you know, depending on how Larry Ogunjobi plays the rest of this season in Chiquamo core for, I don't think anybody should be shocked if we got to to March and all four of those guys were terminated. Well, let's walk through it. There's four of them there. We'll we'll start name by name. And I know we're in the middle of the season. No determinations made now. Things all subject to change. But if you had to guess right now, does Larry Ogunjobi get his roster bonus picked up? Ooh, that's a tough one, especially coming off of a a game where he had that punch out and all like that. I think they pick it up. I, 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 at this point, even though the sacks haven't been there, the production has been there enough, and the D line situation doesn't have incredible depth, and guys to replace him. I think they pick it up right now pretty easily. And I think you, you best uh, uh, walked it through. Uh, uh, Cam Hayward, another year older. Uh, mm-hmm. Who your your depth behind guys right now, like Cam Hayward, Larry Ogunjobi, Keanu Benton. Uh, I mean, who who else is after that? Yeah, I mean, but they did a three-year deal with Ogunjobi, right? Right. For them to not go into year two means that year one has to be really bad. And and Ogunjobi has not been bad right. this year. So right. I think this is a pretty easy decision. Right. You know, as long as he stays healthy and he plays at least the way he's played right now through uh, through through uh, the first five games, I, I'd be I'd be more uh inclined to say yes he 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 will be part of this uh 2024 team let's move and and, and plus once again you're you're talking about a guy that that you invested you know uh, uh, look you could look 
you could get out of this deal and just call it a one year, whatever, whatever we said it was 12, $14 million uh, overall, but you obviously don't go into contracts thinking uh, that was going to be the case. So it would, it, to me, you would have to lose a lot of confidence in Larry Joby to part ways with him after just one season. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm with you. I'd be, uh, but you know, once again, we are five games into this sure. thing, and a, and a sure. lot can a lot can happen. I I just wanted to point out that he is one of those guys with the roster bonuses there. That could we get to a place in these final twelve games where we're thinking, oh man, I, I I don't know about that. You know, understood. Yeah, again, we are still early into this thing, and this is all subject to change. And there would also be a dead money association. Uh, associated with Ogunjobi if you were to to not pick up that roster bonus, correct? Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, w- without a doubt. And then you'd have to make a decision, too, to help alleviate some of that. Do you make him a June 1st uh, uh, right. uh, you know, casualty? In other words, you cut him before you pay him that March roster bonus, but you'd still have to carry the rest of his full base salary up until uh, June 1st. Uh, so you could get some of that uh, remaining proration, proration carried over to 2025 as dead money. Gotcha. I mean, again, there's a cap savings there, but you know Pittsburgh doesn't want to start stacking up a ton of dead money unless they feel like they have to. So again, I think Oakland Joby in the moment right now answering, asking that question, uh, he stays. Okay, Chakuma Korfor. This one might be a little bit more debatable to me, but what do you think, Dave? It doesn't feel like... Uh... Right now, it, it feels like they might might could part ways with him. I'm kind of on the fence. They they've always seemed to like a core four, maybe a bit more than we have, giving him that three year deal. How much is the roster bonus on a core four? It's like in his uh, the three million variety, I think. Okay, if I had to guess, and I'm not as confident in this four, one. Four million with him. Okay, I'm not as confident in this one as I am Oak and Joby. I think they pick it up. You know, it's not like he is overall, not that you should measure a player by his cap charge and cap charge alone. But when you look at what his base salary is supposed to be, $4.75 million, And then, uh, I mean, you're, you're talking about paying a a, 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 a tackle uh, $8.75 million in 2024. Now, either he's worth it or he's not. But it's not like it's an astronomical uh, amount to pay for a starting right tackle. It's just is he worthy to start? If he's mm-hmm. if if you have any doubts about him being your starting right tackle in 2024, then then you obviously look at it. Sure, and, I just and, think, and there's 12 games remaining. You know, right? I just think given other team needs, given that it's not a super high cost overall, this team knowing they're going to have to address center as one of their top priorities. You know, they could still draft a right tackle in you know the second, third round, and then you know see where things go midseason, and then for twenty twenty five, all that combined. And Corfu has not been bad either. He's always just kind of been, I think, a serviceable, competent right tackle for the NFL. I think they pick it up. There are guys. There are pe- there are people right now, listeners to this podcast, saying cutting. Sure, and I get it. And and with I, the, and, and and you know that's that's understandable. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a slam dunk either way. I, I think it's kind of a to be determined situation with him. I'm with you. Okay, Patrick Peterson. This one I think is maybe the most interesting one of all, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. From how he's played so far and the way this thing seems to be uh, uh, trending, uh, I, I I got a I got a funny feeling this might be one and done. 
I, I think it's the most likely name of the three we've mentioned so far. I still think Mike Tomlin loves the dude, and if they can find a way to not have him be an outside corner really at all next season and really truly be a slot guy and dime guy, rotational guy, I think Tomlin wants to keep him around. So I'm, I'm going to lean towards they pick it up. Okay. I will, I, mean, lean, I will lean towards them not. Okay. I mean, his play on the outside, I think, has been you know poor, but there's got to be a recognition this guy cannot continue to be an outside corner. Okay. So, and he is scheduled to earn three point eight five million base and another three million uh, with with the, with with that roster bonus there. So you talk about six point eight five million uh, for a guy that you say that you think can't be an every down uh, corner. Yeah, I, I'm not saying that I would do it. I'm just going from there. I'm trying to get into Tomlin's head right now and his perspective. And I think they just love Peterson. There are some of the intangibles he brings in terms of mentorship, leadership. Good for Porter Jr. I, I try to factor that in as well. And plus, who's going to start on the outside? Opposite <laughs> Joey, Joey, uh, uh, assuming we can ever get Joey Porter Jr. on the field right. full time. <laughs> get uh, Porter starting first. You know, and obviously you got a lot of questions with, uh, uh, you know, can, can Corey Trice Jr. come back? From from this uh, another injury and all like that, you got questions there, and just the depth chart behind it really is non-existent overall. But another reason to keep Peterson because Wallace is a free agent, Pierre's a free agent, correct? I mean, there's not Trice is going to be a sophomore guy coming off a, what we believe as a, a torn ACL. You can't just assume he's going to be a plug and play starting corner, obviously. So right. all the more reason to hold on to Peterson. Okay. And then finally, center Mason Cole. We did mention this on Friday. I have a video up on the site today that talks about Cole's struggles. Going into the year, I would have you know, fairly safely assumed you know, Cole will play out his contract in Pittsburgh. Right now, Dave, I think that's when they don't pick up. His play, for whatever reason, has been really poor. Yeah, $1.5 million uh, roster bonus in March as well. Uh, set to earn a uh, base salary in 2024, $3.25 million there. So... Uh, he would really have to, in my opinion, turn it around uh, starting against the uh, the Rams on in 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 in, in week seven. But uh, the bad thing about it, once again, is uh, you know you we, we talked about backup center all throughout the offseason here, and you know would you know, obviously Spencer Anderson? What's going to happen there? He you know he had some college experience at center. You got James Daniels. Uh, who 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 obviously has NFL experience at, at center that hasn't played it in quite a while, and then uh, Nate Herbig, who you know is I guess technically your backup center uh, now, who doesn't have a lot, you know. So and this would obviously take place. You'd have to make a decision on Cole before the draft. Mm-hmm. But what what date is that due? The bonus? Or, yeah, the roster uh, bonus. Uh, like what day did I tell you it was on him? Like the twenty first or something. So that'll be after free agency begins, correct? Yeah, it it, it all, all of them are either like three, five, or seven days. I think after the start of the new league year. Okay, so in theory, you can go. You know, you're going to explore. You're going to see what veteran centers are out there. If you want to get somebody on a relatively cheap deal, two year type of contract, like a Herbig type deal to to compete to be that veteran option. And then you go into the draft looking for that long-term solution. Right. That's my thought there, but well, yeah, you've, I, you've got, you know, uh, of these four guys that you talked about and, and talking about clearing, uh, and this team's going to have to clear some cap space somehow, some way. Right. 
I mean, we're, uh, we've 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 come to that uh, conclusion, at least in this exercise of this look ahead uh, for 2024 for the salary cap is uh, they're they're going to have to, to to clear some cap space. And you know, when you look at p- potential restructures, and everybody cringe cringes. Uh, look, I I think they did a fantastic job. Uh, this past offseason to get them in a spot where they were able to leave uh, the contract of T.J. Watt alone. All right. But they probably go back to the bank of Watt for 2024. I, I don't think so. If far enough no? now in, into his contract now that 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 I don't think that you do. In fact, you're you're probably closer to the conversations of do we have to get this guy signed to another deal here pretty soon? OK, that's interesting. So are there any logical restructure? Ah, there you go. The uh, other, the other outside linebacker bank. Right, uh, Alex Highsmith uh, on the heels of him signing that big deal this past offseason, in my opinion, has become the primary potential candidate for for restructuring next offseason if they have to go down that road. And what's his base salary next year? Uh, his base salary is ten point seven three three million. So they could clear a lot of space by obviously taking that down. 7.258. Yeah, that's a good chunk there. So I feel like, again, we're pretty early, but high chance. I think that's going to happen in 2024. Uh, I look. Went into went into last offseason. If you if you circle back to. Uh, about the time that. You guys went to the Senior Bowl and all, and I ha- I did the solo uh, cap mm-hmm. projection and all like that. It felt like T.J. Watt, to some degree, at that point, was going to need a restructure of some type, whether it be full or whether it be even a half uh, uh, type restructure. In fact, I mean, I would have bet, I would have, I would have been in the category of betting you that some sort of restructure at that point in time would have occurred. And then obviously you ended up cutting, uh, who, uh, Millette, uh, Jack, well, uh, Jack, Jack, uh, seemed like they had cut somebody else too. uh, didn't they have another corner that they cut? Uh, we, we knew Kella. They could cut a Kella. Yeah. Kella was the other one. Uh, there we we knew they were going to cut William Jackson coming out of the off season. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 there. But I mean, we already knew that at the time there. But en- enough things happened from that point in time. Sure. That ended up, and even down to the final kind of week week of 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 of, of this past off season, you yeah, kind of we were still talking about it. You know, it it all came down to how much cushion did they want. In, 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 in free salary cap space, in my opinion. And, you know, I had budgeted them at being nine and they ended up 6.3. Well, there's your difference in, 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 in doing a partial restructure on TJ Watt there. So, uh, I would, I, I, I am not ready to sit here and slam dunk either way that they will or won't restructure the contract of, 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 of Alex Heisman. It is, however, an option. And that, sure. that's that's the key thing I think that needs to be noted. Now, if you're keeping, if you're hedging toward keeping three of these four players with March roster bonuses at this point, then there are going to have to be other other ways 
in addition to restructuring the contract of Alex Highsmith that I think that you have to explore. And this is the next this is the next group of elephants in the room, if you will, that I think that you need to look at. And leading the list of the next elephants in the room is Allen Robinson. Yeah, I was just going to go there and say that's that's your kind of William Jackson player. I mean, obviously, he's giving you some on-field value that Jackson did not, but a guy with a big base salary next year that there's no way he's going to play at that number. There, ten million dollars is no. his base salary no. uh, right now, and there's and unless he unless you go to him and say, "Look, Alan, we love you. We like the leadership that you bring to the room, all like that," but you got to lower that down to three million. Right. So you're going to clear one way or another a ton of cap space by doing something with Robinson's contract. Most likely just releasing him is my guess. Right, right. Uh, And then some lesser, some smaller, uh, less weighty elephants in the room past Allen (laughs) Robinson would be, I think, uh, two of your inside linebackers that you signed this past offseason and Cole Holcomb and Alandon Roberts. And then when when you look at the Holcomb situation, it's almost kind of a mirrored situation of the uh, Patrick Peterson, right? To, to to some degree, in what sense exactly? And maybe more along the lines of like a, a an Ogid Joby. What do you have behind him? Mm-hmm. Uh, has, has he has he played well enough? Uh, you know, he, he he is one of those that, while I think you could put him in the safe category right now, there are twelve there are twelve games remaining. Right, but I think. I think, like you said, Ogunjobi's a better comparison to Peterson, three-year deal. And unless you're playing really, really poorly in year one, then you're going to stay for at least year two. And Holcomb has played well enough to stay for year two. All right. Uh, and then Atlanta Roberts is not like you save a lot of money, but it might be something that you have to look at uh, either way. He's there's no You don't have to make a decision with him <coughs> right away in March, but... You know, you had the rest of the summer to look at that three point five million dollar base salary for him and and decide what you want to do with him. Sure, that's possible. It depends on Mark Robinson, does Quan Alexander resign or not? Those things have to be considered. So Roberts is a little up in the air right now. Uh, I guess kind of moving on past that, and I didn't list these in in in, in my post there, but uh, two of your safeties and Demonte Casey and Keanu Neal. There's not you know a lot of money to save overall there. Three million dollar base salary on on Casey and Keanu Neal's do two point two five zero. So uh, once again, not not I I didn't feel those guys were were worthy to put in the post because of their base salaries being. More, more on the lower side like that. I kind of used the cutoff of a Landon Roberts at three point five million when kind of talking about you know guys that mm-hmm. you know could p- potentially save it because you have the whole uh, displacement rule of fifty one you know roster displacement and all like that you know that that trims into the actual amount uh, of of cap spaces saved as well too. So I mean, look, I mean, you know, circle this thing back if 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 you're listening to this right now and you're and if you're uh, more to Alex's side of thinking, yeah, you know, those four guys, you guys mentioned Ogan, Joby, a core for Mason Cole and Patrick Peterson. I could see three of those guys, the most expensive guys, you know, staying. Then 
you're going to have to figure out different ways to get creative to free up some cap space, especially as you know, not not to necessarily get you to the start of the new league year, especially if you cut a guy like Allen Robinson and, and and all like that. But as the offseason progresses, you still have to. I mean, even though you know th- those other charges, which total out to be let's see, seven million for in 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 season replacement fund, two million for you know, injured reserve, whatever happens there, 4 million for practice squad and 1.5 million for a 52nd and 53rd player. You're still talking about what? 14 and a half million dollars. Sure. No, I understand that wholeheartedly. I think it's also interesting. And we visited this, I think right before the year began or right as the year began, the pending unrestricted free agency class for the Steelers. And it's looking Less impressive than it did at the start of the season, Dave, and it didn't look terribly impressive then. Levi Wallace, Montrevious Adams, Gunnar Olszewski, Miles Killebrew, Marcus Golden, Quan Alexander, Desmond King, James Pierre, Shandon Sullivan, Armand Watts, Mason Rudolph, Miles Boykin, and Elijah Riley was the list you had released at the start of the season. Wallace was kind of your big name, and I don't think he's going to get big money this offseason. You know, Adams has played well and, and could stick around. You got some veteran guys like Golden Alexander, who may return, but they were playing cheap this year. I mean, you're not spending much on your pending unrestricted free agency class. Right. Any of those guys that you, uh, on that list that you, if they resign at this point, I don't, you might want to think about bringing Miles Killebrew back at two sure. million. <laughs> two million. Yeah, you, you're going to bring some of those guys back, but no uh, one's going to, no one's breaking your bank. Obviously. Right. Right. No, none, none of them are going to, to uh, absolutely uh, crush you as far as that, if any at all, or resign there. So, uh, yeah, I mean that that's not the issue here. But but what are you going to be able to attack in outside free agency? And are you back into? And you would have to think that that's going to be the case. It's going to be one of those budget free agent, outside free agent kind of you know two or three of those middling guys, and then a whole bunch of uh, veteran benefit contracts, the same cycle. Mm-hmm. Right. That that may be the case. So obviously that's still all the way. That out. gets me back into my, my rants of, you know, is that enough to keep from, and uh, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But is that, is that playing a part in this team being kind of a middling team? In terms of the, the, Inactive inaction in free agency or the low contracts in free agency, just the, t- you know, they never go. They never go all in on a top player, you know, mm-hmm. a top market player, and have it for years. It's just not what or they do. They've never signed right. a, a, a you know eighty million dollar contract or top of the market contract. Right, right. But I mean, do they do they need to start uh, con- considering that? I don't know if that's the the solution. Or do honestly. they need to do a better job of, of of scouting out some of these more middling guys, if, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we'll have to see how the rest of the season goes and kind of take inventory where this team ends up. I mean, heck, again, this time at the bye a year ago, we were talking about they're two and six. They look the worst team in football, and they kind of figure things out the other side. Will they do that again? I don't know, but I'll let the season kind of play out before we talk about maybe what their the best course is for for the offseason. All right, here, here here's a recap of the, of, 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 of the Steelers' 2000, at least initial 2024 uh, cap situation here. It probably doesn't look great on paper overall, but there are, as usual, movable, pliable 
areas within that. And I think most of that centers around the four names that we really five names, I guess, because Allen Robinson deserve, even though he's not uh, doesn't have a roster bonus. Uh, I think he's a guy that you really have to look look hard at as a potential elephant in a room. So th- those elephant, those main elephant elephants would be Larry Ogunjobi, Chukwuma Korfor, Mason Cole, Patrick Peterson, and Allen Robinson the second there. Uh, however, if if you end up retaining three of those five, you know, then I think that this team, you know, I I, I think the uh, restructure of uh, Alex Highsmith does come into play at that point and they'll be able to as usual move around this it's not a concern Mm -hmm. uh either way but how they go about maneuvering around it and uh the impact it has on the kind of free under outside unrestricted free agent uh they go after you know uh uh would 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 matter but even if you were to cut an Ogunjobi or a Peterson or a Korfor, there's going to be a cost to replace those guys, unless you're going to count on just rookies to do it, which is a you know a tricky thing to do that that doesn't typically sure, happen but, in Pittsburgh. But, but if you go outside and add a couple of free agents within that, the first year cap charge uh, 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 of those guys, assuming they're you know two or three year signings, would obviously be lower uh, than than what these guys' salary cap charges are set to be. Sure, but if your principle, your like philosophy is they need to stop signing kind of these mid-tier free agents, and you're just signing the mid-tier free agent to replace the mid-tier free agent that you signed with, you know, Peter. Well, that Ogunjobi. gets back into my argument of doing a better job of 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 evaluating these guys. Sure, but what are what are they missing? Is it you know, you know there's a whole we can go down a rabbit hole a different time probably about how to evaluate better, but sure. Um, if it's the same people evaluating, of course you always want to evaluate better. So do you need new people to evaluate or? Again, that's a whole different conversation, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's way too early to have at this time. But mm-hmm. I, the main the main thing I wanted to get across here is that you have the ability just in straight terminations alone on guys like Ogunjobi, Okorafor, Cole, and Peterson, those four alone, of freeing up $26.5 million prior to roster displacement. And then even as much as $30.1 million if you need to cut Ogunjobi and, 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 and put a June – uh, post June 1st designation on him. So uh, the money's there to be created, assuming those guys aren't deemed worthy of, of, of holding on to. Right. And it's worth watching their play the rest of the season because things can change. I think three of the four stay, but by January, my opinion may very well change. And so it's something to watch in addition to the actual legitimate unrestricted, unrestricted free agents. These guys are almost in some sense, you know, playing for the jobs over here. All right, so don't freak. If you listen to this, don't freak out about it, I think. And, and once again, one of these takeaways should be that we need to watch uh, those four guys specifically because, you know, they have uh, March roster bo- bonuses involved, and that would be the time to cut them in Larry Ogunjobi, Okor, for Cole, mm-hmm. and Patrick Peterson. Become a very important window. All, all four of those guys will not be retained past, past the roster bonuses. Besides Cole, who do you think the most likely to not be retained is of the other Peterson? Three? Okay, that's fair. And, and then, then a core four, and then uh, the least like the least likely to be cut probably at this point in time would be Ogunjobi. I would rank them the same way. I'm with you. I just feel more strongly about the odds of a Peterson and probably in a core four being kept. And then Allen Robinson, you have to do something there. Uh, He's gone. E- either cut him or, or get him to lower it down to like three million. He's done his job well, but you, he's not. It's not a good enough. His role is not so valuable to pay him that kind of money. 
I wonder, everybody bookmark this uh, section of the podcast because <laughs> uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the conversation uh, changes, if any, come right after the season ends. Sure. And somebody could get hurt, and that may change the whole equation as well. So that's always the, uh, the fly in the ointment. All right. All right, Dave. I think the last thing I wanted to get to today was an article I wrote this morning. And I was I was out of town this weekend and I woke up on I guess it would have been Sunday and I saw this uh comment from Chris Long, who I do like, I enjoy his podcast, but it just it just burned me up. And the second I read it, I said, I'm I gotta write about this thing for Monday. And so he's not the only one, but he's the latest to talk about how George Pickens is not getting the football enough, not being targeted enough. Mike Florio has said that endlessly this season to the point where he you know insinuated the Pittsburgh was intentionally not throwing him the football so they wouldn't have to pay him down the line which is a crazy comment on so many levels uh, but others have said it as well and I just don't see the evidence there he's been targeted 40 times this year that's eight per game it's way up from his uh, rookie year the target share is high it's comparable to a lot of you know, uh, receivers who are in his target range. When you factor in that Pittsburgh has not had the ball much, not thrown a ton, the fact that Pickens has been doubled and taken away, and that he's not a Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, elite level route runner that's going to get open in all these really super creative ways. His route running has certainly gotten better. He's a more well-rounded receiver. That's been important. It's one reason why you've seen his targets go up. But I just don't see the issue to, of this offense is that Pickens has not been targeted enough and not gotten the ball enough. I think he has. I think he has as well, too. I think that the moving forward to this with Deontay coming back is can you continue to get him that same average of targets? And in addition uh, to that, get him different targets where he can potentially do something. And look, I, you know, I, I obviously the return of Deontay Johnson can be huge but it, it it's not going to, it's it's not going to matter unless you start using him correctly you know using him uh more than just these curls and comebacks you it is something we that goes back to what we said coming out of last season and into this season here you've got to give these guys uh more ability to run after the catch outside of just trying to throw the football up over the top uh, of, 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 of defenses here. And, uh, we have to see more of these, uh, slants, more of these digs, uh, things where these guys can catch the football and, and run in space. I, I think the biggest chore where maybe the argument of not getting the football to George Pickens enough might come with the return of Deontay because mm-hmm. obviously you're going to try to get him his targets as well, too. Can you continue to get George seven to eight targets moving forward a game and potentially an additional type of target with him running out in space? Well, I think Pittsburgh's done a good job of getting Pickens in space this year. His yak number is off the charts. I know that's partially influenced by the well, Browns a couple game. Of, couple of catches within there that... Uh, you know, he's run long on. Yeah, well, that's kind of the point. So we wanted to see from him and from this offense. So he's doing those things that we hope that he and this offense would do. And with Deontay, we'll just have to see how they use him. He played you know, not even three full quarters of football. Right. So it's hard to say how much smarter they use him. I think he was certainly misused in his cast and his route tree last year. But I mean, you look at Pittsburgh's jack numbers overall. I don't know where they are exiting week number six, but they're they're much improved compared to last year. 
Yeah, but you got a couple of home run balls, though. But that, that's like for the yeah. point. We wanted the home. We said sure. the whole offseason was they needed to have yak plays and explosive plays and chunk plays. Sure, but does it feel sustainable for the to 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 the 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 uh, double and triple uh, explosive touchdown? I mean, there needs to be another element to it. You can't that's, solely that's rely on that. That's the element that I want. Sure, but I mean, even if you look at Pickens, you know his overall yak. You know, he probably removed some of those things. I mean, he was the NFL's worst yak receiver last year, and I think statistically he was like a top ten guy again during the week. So I can just see some improvement there. But there's certainly more work to be done. Once Frymouth gets back, he's got to get involved more. There's got to be more yak opportunities for him. Maybe for a Calvin Austin to do some more underneath stuff. I don't think Austin's been used underneath enough uh, in this offense. Dave, he's kind of been just a vertical clearout guy. There's got to be maybe a bit more to do with him. Once Deontay comes back for this Rams game, Austin might play in the slot a bit more, work that area of the field a little more often, a little more screen game, maybe RPO game. That'll be good for him and good for the team, Yak. Did we learn, uh, if we learned anything since Deontay went down, did we learn that Calvin Austin probably not uh, an ideal uh, every down uh, uh, kind of X? Yeah, I, I, the biggest issue with Austin is obviously the lack of size. I mean, the catch, the catch radius is just so limited with him. I mean, just the, the making those grabs outside his frame, you don't see it often. He had one nice sideline catch, I think, against Houston. That's one of the few times I've seen him in Pittsburgh. Granted, he missed his whole rookie year, but one of the few times I've seen him really make a catch that wasn't really between the one and the, and the nine on his jersey. I think the best thing that this team that this this team can do with uh, getting Deontay back is move these guys around. Right, and I, I think the best thing too is that the Heat will come off of Pickens, and he's going right. to be singled up more often. And when he's singled up, as we saw in the Ravens game, he gets the vertical game going. Pickett gets the back shoulder fade game going, and this offense in the pass game looks better. Right, and I think you've got to now that you're probably not nailing down Austin so much in the X, you got to try to find ways to 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 get him moved around the ball out in space to him. I agree, and I think that's something we'll see more of with Johnson's return. I, I'm really excited that Deontay Johnson's coming back. Well, I am if they use him and get him the ball out in space more. <laughs> fair, uh, fair know. point, fair point. Uh, but uh, look, it's not going to hurt. It's just can can they get the ball in the hands to these guys, and then in addition to that. You know, back to the thing with Pickens is, can they continue to get him his his six to seven target? You know, uh, mm-hmm. average, obviously coverage and 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 schemes going to 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 play a role in that. But you would like to see him at least average, you know, more than you know more than five targets a game moving forward. Sure, I'm with you there. Um, some of that's this team has to possess the ball. They don't possess the ball enough, you know, and that just you know limits the number of total targets and overall opportunities across the board. So that's something to, to work on. But obviously, if you get the ball in your playmaker's hands, you're going to you know, convert, you're going to sustain drives, you're going to possess the ball more. So they all kind of go hand in hand. My, my overall point was that, yeah, could you argue that Pickens should have a couple more targets? You could, and that's fine. And that's fair. You're always trying to get your top guys involved. But, you know, if he had 45 targets versus 40 targets, you know, we're, we're talking about small things here that are not the issues, the core problems of why Pittsburgh's offense has struggled. Right. And look, well, in addition to all those guys, you know, with, with Pat Firemuth hopefully getting healthy after the bye, you got to find a way to start getting him the ball, you know, especially in like mm-hmm. third down situations. And, and you know, he has been targeted in the red zone and all like that. But uh, between the 20s, this team needs to get down in the red zone more, period. <laughs> if they're yeah. not going to score the 60, 70-yard touchdowns, they need sure. to get down in the red zone more as well, too. 
They need they to have. Po- they need to possess. They need they need to become possessed. You know, uh, you've got to see them uh, because there's there's obviously several good byproducts of that as well too. Your defense is not on the field as much. That's just another thing that's that's hurt this team. Uh, and all that we could we could peel back this this onion several several layers in this conversation. You've got to be able to run the football better. Running the football better on early downs will help you possess. Should help you possess the football. So just I mean, look, just offense in general. Uh, you've got to see them be able to possess the football longer. And mm-hmm. if you do that, uh, you would hope that you're going to be able to move the football down the field and get in the red zone more. And then as as Matt Canada likes to say, score more points. <laughs> right, right. No, they do. They have to sustain drives. That's the reason why they have what? I think technically seven red zone trips, but one was the Ravens game, just them on that last drive, just kneeling down and, and that whole thing. So really call it six true actual attempted red zone drives and two five games. That is a, I believe it's the, the least in football. Right. All right, Dave, a- anything else you wanted to discuss or talk about today? today? Anything else that I may have missed? What did the tape tell you about Mason Cole in the video you put up? Tell the people about that real quick. Yeah, like I mentioned in, in our you know uh, option year bonus year, uh, or excuse me, roster bonus conversation that it's just not been good. And look at the Ravens game; it's emblematic of the entire season. The zone tracks have been poor. He's been beating pass protection too much, and you got Aaron Donald coming to town, or they're going to play Aaron Donald, I should say. On Sunday, and in my system, the center is typically more isolated. He's in more 1v1 battles because the guards tend to help the tackles more. Will they adjust that plan against Donald and the Rams? They probably would. They're, they'd be smart to do so, but I can't explain what it is, but Cole has just been just really poor from the get-go, from week one, and it's been a, a big downgrade to where he was at last year. I've charged him for three sacks this year. That's more than he gave up all last year, and Three sacks for centers, a pretty high number. And we're in week five of this thing. So it's alarming across the board. And you went into uh, also, I think we talked about this recently. Uh, what's uh, Kenny Pickett on 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 pace to how many times get sacked? 47 sacks he's on pace to be taken down this year. I know this is a 17-game season, but that would be tied for the third most in team history behind Big Ben and Cliff Stout in 1983 got sacked 53 times, I think it was. And so 51-53. So that was a terrible year for him um but yeah it, it's it's happening too often and, and there's multiple reasons for that some of that's on picket some of that's on scheme receivers offensive line obviously but regardless of what the reasons are it has to stop i agree uh let's see looking real quick at their red zone let's see seven total red zone opportunities and two conversions Right. Now, one of them, again, was that Ravens game. So I, you can call them two or six, but whatever you want to call them, call it not enough. And they still without a rushing touchdown. Did the Vikings get a rushing touchdown this week? Were they playing? I'm, uh, they played the Bears, didn't they? They did. Did they get a rushing touchdown? They were the only other team not to have one. They did not. And so they're now on pace to become one of the have one of the longest droughts without a rushing touchdown in uh, NFL history. All right. All right, Dave, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show. And just a reminder, no live stream tonight. That'll be that's uh, as scheduled, but that'll be next uh, Monday after the Rams game. All right, let's uh, go to Christine Bond. If I recall correctly, during the second half of last year, 
Um, Minka was frequently in a robber role thus far this year. I do not believe he has been used in that role nearly like last year. Is that correct? And could that be a change we could see beginning with the Rams? Well, I think we've already talked a little bit about that, about him having to guard all these tight ends so much. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's game plan specific. I gave more grace in the Ravens game because they really matched Mink up on Mark Andrews on almost every third down situation. I don't have exact stats on, you know, robber roll overall. I, I mentioned on Friday show that his box count uh, rate was really high, you know, much, much higher than it, excuse me, had been last year. Um, and so I don't I don't love that overall. Um, so I, I'd have to look at some of the data on that. But yeah, I don't know if Minka has been utilized the best overall this season. Didn't the last time that they played the Rams, he kind of robbed a little bit more and was cutting down and gets cup and and wasn't that the game that uh I think he had didn't he have an interception and a fumble? No, it was recovery? the fumble recovery for a touchdown. Yeah. Where they everyone kind of stopped and thought the play was dead and Minka Wasn't was, there a red zone opportunity though that he came down against Cup or something and cut uh uh cut Yeah, cut well there was something on a crosser. I think he right. lit up Cup or something. Yeah. Um yeah, they're going to bracket the heck out of Cup, obviously. So uh, you may see more of that this week. I'm sure they're going to have a plan. I mean, they when they played Cup last, he literally did not catch a pass. He was targeted four times here at reception. So they got, you know, Nakua, who's he's playing you know, really good ball for them. And Atwell is just tiny. They're, again, they're Calvin Austin. So we'll see. But Cup is certainly the number one guy to take away. Uh, Craig Sampson's got a rant here. Hi, guys. Great coverage. Uh, the Steelers have become unbearable to watch. Even when they win, it seems like it shouldn't have happened feels like the last four four years <laughs> sometimes he says people always ask about their identity the uh, their identity is being stuck in 1985 he says their identity is to pass rush and relying on tj watt to be an all-star every single game it is completely unsustainable i think the Steelers think that they are always the smartest people in the room and maybe they were years ago but the nfl has passed them by whether it's play calling signing free agents or drafting uh, legit question. Who was the last Steelers player other than TJ Watt that the Steelers drafted that was selected to the Pro Bowl and not as an alternate? Uh, he says, I couldn't even go back that far. Uh, and you had a conversation about what the Steelers need to do better in the offseason. He says, totally agree with Dave. Something needs to change just because we signed someone to more than a, uh, uh, Sign someone to more than a vet minimum doesn't mean it's a good player. Clearly, their drafted players aren't developing developing properly, or they don't know how to evaluate players that they don't fit the scheme. Not sure. You know, look, I, I, I you know, we we can take issue the way you know Joey Porter's been brought along and all, uh, but hopefully that that turns out to be 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 the right way overall. So far, this draft class, uh, uh, uh. Look, looks looks pretty good overall, especially you know with the game Broderick Jones had in mm -hmm. his first NFL start. Uh, when when Joey Porter's been out there, it's been fine. Keanu Benton's been fine. Uh, you know Herbig. Uh, you know what do you expect for a guy in 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 the fourth outside linebacker role? Uh, I'm not overly concerned with what has or has not happened uh, there. Uh, I was expecting Darnell Washington to be a little bit better as a blocker than he's been. Would you agree? I thought he was going to be inconsistent. I thought he wasn't maybe quite as good or as ready as some people thought. So I'm not. It's about what I expected, to be honest with okay. you. Okay. I was wanting a little bit more. So we differ a little bit in that area. But it, 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 
Uh, there's still tight. There's still, you know, 12 games for him to develop in, 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 in that mm-hmm. area there. Uh, I mean, Spencer Anderson is, is, you know, is just a backup. So anything that you get out of him moving forward is fine. And then obviously you lost uh, Corey Trice Jr. Uh, t- uh, to an injury. So I, th- I, th- other than Joey Porter Jr., you know, maybe being on the field more so far. And, you know, obviously you could take issue in with, with Broderick Jones only getting his first career start. Uh, this past game, at least he is now in that role there. Uh, you know, I, I think top to bottom, you have to be you have to be okay with what what this rookie class has done so far, right? Based yeah, on ha- ba- based on what's been asked of them. Sure, I'm happy with it. Really good question though on the last team or last player the Steelers have drafted who made the Pro Bowl not as an alternate besides T.J. Watt. I'm trying to look through the. The list of names here. I mean, yeah, I think Deontay's made it as an alternate. Najee's made it as an alternate. Um, I don't know though. That's a good question. You know, Dave? That oh. uh Hargrave made it while in Philadelphia, not in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting It's not question, Cam right? Hayward, is it? Can't be. No, uh, what what about Shazier? Yeah, Shazier. He made Pro Bowls, right? Yeah, two-time Pro Bowler there, but that's 2014. That's that's a decade ago. So over the last decade, the only two Pro Bowlers they've drafted have been Watt and Chazier. I'm gonna have to pull this up real quick. I mean, it was Bell in 13, so to go back 2013 to 2023. Um, now they've you know Pro Bowls not all end all, and they've had some talented players, you know Juju and. Sutton and Hargrave himself and the alternates, you know, we, we just mentioned there and Johnson and, and Harris. So I've kind of defended their classes. High Smith, you know, what, what about what Juju was an alternate the year he, he went right. I don't remember, but probably just given how competitive uh, and Connor, same with Connor, right? I don't know about James Connor. If he was an alternate, he may have been, I, I honestly do not remember alternates versus, you know, first original ballots. Um, but it's a, it's a valid question. Yeah, uh, looking through this list real quick here. Uh, yeah, what, let's see. Going back, you you mentioned Bell, two thousand thirteen, mm-hmm. but uh, Shazier was drafted in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, look, they they. Yeah, I, the, the, long story short, the uh, the emailer makes a good point. Right. But again, I mean, Alex Highsmith, I think, had a Pro Bowl season last year, but just given the competition at the edge spot, you know, TJ Watt should not have made the Pro Bowl over Alex Highsmith last year. So there is some of that to, to consider as well. But the, the, but the point overall is, yeah. is, yeah, the point is taken. Uh, okay. Let's see. Going through this, uh, Hazem writes in, David Alex, uh, two things I wanted to run past you in defense of Kenny Pickett. We played three very tough defenses. He didn't play great, but he looks fine compared to how other quarterbacks did against the same teams, Burrow versus the Browns and Baltimore Purdy against Cleveland. Look, uh, say what you will about the 49ers. They they didn't have uh McCaffrey and Debo and uh I didn't think uh who's their other wide receiver over there uh didn't have the best Ayuk, game. Yeah, Ayuk had a couple of seemed like a couple of drops in that game. And uh that's his number one point was comparing how some other quarterbacks did, like Burrow against uh 
uh, Cleveland and Baltimore and Purdy against uh, Cleveland. He says, it seems like Kenny has a clutch gene, although it's a very small sample size. As a fan, though, I feel comfortable with Kenny has the ball late in tight games. Assuming he has a clutch gene, can you think of quarterbacks in NFL history that had a clutch gene but were mediocre in a lot of other circumstances? Two, two names, he says, comes to mind. Jim Harbaugh and Eli Manning. Manning, conversely, I've seen quarterbacks without the clutch gene, but were otherwise solid. Matt Hasselbeck, Kirk Cut. Boy, he's going down rabbit holes here. I guess my point is, I think it's more encouraging to have a guy with a clutch gene than without, because playoff games and Super Bowls are won by quarterbacks that can make throws when the stakes are highest. He says, I feel like Kenny just needs to get more consistent during games, not just in clutch. I mean, that's that that's what you want to see, right? Is the, uh, the, 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 the time other than, you know, four minutes left in the game. Sure. Uh, just to interrupt here briefly, Dave, I got some Steelers news coming in right now. The Steelers announcing that wide receiver Deontay Johnson and running back Anthony McFarland have returned to practice today. They remain on the reserved injured list, but their 21 day windows have officially opened up. So we knew Deontay was going to be one of those guys. Good to see McFarland join him. Absolutely. And now we wait until what Saturday to see uh, if those guys are uh, moved to the active 53 man roster there. Um, Johnson should be moved, right? McFarland will see, but Johnson should be. Yeah. Uh, And then we'll see the corresponding off all that. Mm -hmm. We had that conversation at all. Uh, What do you think about his argument about Kenny and the clutch gene? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, does, does it exist? I mean, we can debate about that. I think Bill Simmons made the comparison to Eli Manning to Pickett. I don't know if that was a compliment or not. I'm still trying to figure out where uh, Simmons was coming in on that. But if Pickett can win two Super Bowls, I'll I'll take that every day of the week. Um, yeah, I, I guess overall, if you'd rather have something, you'd rather have the guy have that that quote unquote clutch gene or just clutch nature in him. But you know, I, I don't don't spend a lot of time thinking about that. And you got to do a lot of work to get to that point to to be in those playoff type moments, right? So that, though, I don't have a lot of thoughts there, I guess, but. Uh, yeah. uh, Good, good angle. Good, good thought. All right. Uh, let me get this tweeted out real quick on those guys on Johnson and McFarland. That's obviously good news. Uh, okay. Back to the email machine. Uh, Janae, this is a long time listener. Thanks so much for your work and amazing podcast. Thank you for the survey to provide feedback on the website. Really appreciate the opportunity to do that question. Will you please explain EPA metrics like, uh, uh, EPA per play, how is this calculated and determined, especially with an offense that has low expectations? How do EPA metrics impact uh, uh, my stat adjusted net yards for passing attempt? Uh, EPA, uh, really at this point, adjusted net yards for passing attempt is, even though it's kind of an advanced stat, it's become kind of an uh, a little bit more on 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 the archaic side, uh, if you will, overall, uh, because of more like uh, EPA metrics and all like that. And you can you could have uh, conversations on EPA and 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 what what it is and how it's determined. Uh, the best way to describe that is is expected points added, uh, and it's a measure of success, which is divine. And I'm giving you the loose explanation uh, explanation from uh, pro football uh, focus, which divides the value we each play. Basically, each and every play has expected points based on down, distance, score, game, and and all like that. And the the impact of that play uh, versus what it provides 
sets up the next play, yada, yada, uh, plays into the ex- expected points uh, uh, added uh, metric. It is a very intense, yet I, I, I it's very uh, effective uh, uh, because you can isolate not only the team offense and defense and really special teams for that matter, but you can, you can, uh, isolate it, uh, for a play for a play or a player, uh, on top of it. So once again, this, this is all calculated off of down distance, you know, everything related to the play of, of what the expected points, uh, for, 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 you know, scoring, would be on that particular play uh, to try to sum it up in, you know, 15 minutes is next to impossible to do. But there is great reading about this on Pro Football Focus, Pro Football Reference, really all over the Internet as far as far as expected uh, points added. You you explained it better than I ever could, Dave. So thank you for for taking the baton on that one. Um yeah, so I, I echo what Dave has to say. Look, it, it is uh, it is a very effective way at looking once again at 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 units, teams, and in, individual players. And in fact, a lot of the advanced uh, graphs and metrics that you see out there uh, nowadays revolve a lot around, uh, 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 mostly around expected points uh, added as a, I, I, I love it. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to have conversations about it in, in a, in a podcast other mm-hmm. than surface level for teams although you can get it you i mean you can go down rabbit holes with this thing on individual players i i love it it's just it's hard to have conversations about it especially when you have people that are uh, listeners and end users that are still getting into trying to understand what it is right it's it's harder and not as commonplace to talk about some of these advanced analytics as it is baseball for example but it's becoming certainly more and more part of the the lexicon and i think you i think you explained it as well as you could in an audio format like this dave i think the best thing if you are into this uh rbsdm.com rbsdm.com is uh, at least one site, and I, I think obviously uh, Next Gen Stats uh, uh, does this as, uh, to to some degree as well too. Uh, you can look at and Pro Football Reference obviously does this by play uh, as well too. If you want to look at the, uh, the 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 play by play and really just any uh, overall stats of of teams of players as well too. Uh, get into it though, and I mean you can look at as games go along, what the expected points added uh, is and all like that. I mean, it, it's here to stay. I'll tell you that. I mean, it, yeah, it's a, it's sure. a, it's a measurement that's not going anywhere. And I think, yeah, no I think we will be able to, as this becomes more widely accepted, which it is pretty much with us nerds. And, and you know, at this point uh, it will become more of a talk about measurement moving forward. And we're seeing that with that and different things, you know, we see the chartings from what PFF and some of the other uh, software that's out there to get some of these nitty gritty numbers on, you know, perfectly covered plays and stuff like that. You're seeing a push in that advanced analytics side of the NFL. Right. All right, Dave. Let's see if I can get maybe one more other part of the question here. 
How do we get so bamboozled this offense with this offense after the preseason? What did we miss? Did we see enough snaps to see the struggles? Yeah, look, uh, I, I shame on me too. Uh, I, I, I'm still kicking myself for getting, and I know better than that. I've done this long enough to not get caught up in the preseason. Uh, we didn't see a lot of snaps from this offense overall. Uh, when you look at it at its core and the fact that the, the genericness of preseason and defenses and the quality of competition out there, uh, needs to be taken in, in, uh, in, into account when it comes to all that, uh, as well too. So, uh, you would like to see this offense specifically get more to anywhere closer to the way they played in those, uh, handful of snaps during the preseason. Yeah, for sure. It's hard to explain. I, I don't the, know the if it, I don't know if it's so much what we what did we miss as far as did did we apply too much value? Some of us mm-hmm. apply too much value to it. Yeah, that, that's probably a fairer way to assess that. It wasn't that you missed something. There really wasn't anything to miss. It was just do you overvalue the the summer play too much? So that that's probably the the fairer critique than missing something. Uh, with the fungibility of the running back, do you expect any current or recently retired running backs to make the Hall of Fame? Who do you expect to be the next Hall of Famer out of, say, like Adrian Peterson, Marshawn Lynch, Frank Gore, Fred Taylor, Eddie George, Ricky Waters is the the the, the names listed here. That's a great question there. Man, Frank, Frank Gore is always going to be in that conversation because of the longevity uh, of his career. Uh, Adrian Peterson, the same way, you know, uh, Fred Taylor, uh, Eddie George. That's a great question. I haven't really thought about who I expect the next hall of famer out of that bunch to be. Should be AP. I think he makes it has the easiest case and maybe a first ballot dude. Gore's got a good shot. The others, I don't know. And then in terms of current running backs, it's hard to find a name. Derrick Henry, maybe, but I'm not sure if he quite, quite gets there. Um, it's hard to pick somebody. Right. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, Janae, uh, let's see if we can grab one more here. Dave and Alex love the show in the Friday podcast. You wondered why they don't run the pistol. It's because that puts the running back another three yards back in, 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 in the backfield. They are already having a hard time making it back to the line of scrimmage clean. The Steelers have two good receiving running backs. Why do, why do we think they can't successfully run screens more often? Uh, Jay from Buffalo. Well, look, we're not saying put 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 them back in the pistol uh, 20, 20 times a game. Sure. What Just what is a, a what is up. a positive aspect? How would how would you what is a positive impact of the pistol? The things we talked about. Friday, where uh, it's more downhill run action. You don't tip your hand on what side you're running to. You can probably more effectively run play action than you can at a shotgun. So you get you know uh, the, the benefits, kind of a best of both worlds of under center versus being in traditional shotgun with the running back sidecar. Why don't you think this team uh, uh, can't can't successfully run screens run, run screens more often? Well, it's more than just the running back. Usually the running back is kind of the last piece to a successful screen. The quarterback's got to sell it. He can't be staring down the back the whole way. The line has to be able to to, to sell uh, the initial drop back and then you know time when they pull and get out into space and find guys and block it up well. Everyone's got to, got to be on the same track out there in space, which can be tricky. You've got to have the right athletes to do that. So uh, really the, the running back 
hand component, how good of a receiving back somebody is, is kind of the the last thing on the list of what makes a successful screen team. Agreed. Uh, would like to see you know see them try to try to try to execute a few of those moving forward here, especially when you've got two guys out of the backfield, such as uh, Najee and Warren, who have shown they can catch the football uh, out of the sure. backfield. Sure. It's been a frustrating five years for the lack of the screen game. All right. Uh, what are we, an hour and a half here? Yeah, I made it pretty long today, so we should probably wrap things up. All right. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday and talking about the Mike Tomlin press conference on Tuesday and uh, whatever else has happened uh, since then. And you can follow me on Twitter at Studios Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Uh, hit the donate button or find the ad-free version of the site, uh, whether it be desktop or mobile. Uh, email all questions to the terrible podcast at gmail.com as stated. And until Wednesday, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.